He is worthy of praise, worthy of obedience, worship. And you really can't have true worship without obedience, right? Do I get an amen? amen? It's not pretty songs, pretty preaching. It's a surrendered heart that's true worship. Amen? May that be what God sees as He looks down on us today. Well, good morning, Coastal Deer Park. So good to see you. In case you're visiting, my name is Randy Fields, and I'm the site pastor here at Deer Park. And today is a very special day in the life of our church on all three campuses, Gloucester, Yorktown, and here in Deer Park and Newport News. Because it, we are the topic of our focus in the sermon today is something that is very important to the heart of our God. And that is the sanctity of life. Life is a gift from God. Amen? Are you glad to be alive this morning? Are you breathing? Well, that breath is from God. It's a gift to you. Is your heart beating? Hopefully for a long time to come. That's a gift from God. Eternal life is from Christ, but life in general is a gift from God. So we're grateful to focus on that today. And I'm so um, I'm appreciative of Pastor Sean at Gloucester putting the sanctity of life in the preaching schedule every year because it's very important to God. And, I, and we're going to talk about life, the sanctity of life, but also we're going to be mentioning some, some disturbing facts and statistics with abortion. So if you have young children that may possibly be in here, now's the time to go take them to child care, perhaps, because there may be some things that are shared that are, that are, that are very disturbing. So any young children, now's the time to go back to child care. But back to life, it is a gift from God. It's something that we should celebrate and cherish and also protect. Amen? Every January in our country, in, the, in Washington, D.C., there was a march for life every January. And a few months ago, or I'm sorry, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to part part participate in one, pontificate of one. And it was amazing. This past year, there were approximately 300,000 people who attended. And I can remember the year that I went, there was a sea of humanity. It was amazing. And the year that we were there, uh, Vice President Pence was speaking, and one thing that he said was that life is winning in America. Life is winning in America. And the crowd went crazy, right? It was just, it was amazing. And, uh, and in the sea of humanity, there's one very encouraging thing I noticed. If you go to the next slide. A lot of the people were teenagers and in their 20s. A huge percentage of them. And they were saying, we are the pro-life generation. And one, one side would say, we love babies, yes we do. We love babies, how about you? And the other side would say, we love babies, yes we do. We love babies, how about you? And back and forth they would go. You could feel the energy. And you could feel the presence of God on Capitol Hill, on the March for Life. And let me ask you a question. Why do you think... That why do you think that life is winning in America? If you look at statistics, abortion clinics are closing all over the country. Many of them are closing. And pro-life clinics are popping up all over the place. Why such enthusiasm? What is happening? Why is life winning in America? Well, I believe one reason for that is this. It's because people are increasingly convinced that there is life inside of the womb. There is life inside of mommy's tummy. Back in 1973, when they legalized abortion, back in that time, they did not have sonograms. They did not have the technology that we have today. 
And back in that time, it was much easier to convince yourself that that's not a life, that's a tissue. That's tissue in there. But now through technology, we can see that there's a life there. And sometimes seeing is believing. And therefore, many people in the young generation are saying, heavens, no, we should not terminate this little one still in the womb. It seems like technology is beginning to catch up with what God has revealed all along, that there's life in there. God's been saying that all along. And that brings us to our text in Psalms 139, verses 13 to 16. What does God have to say about life in the womb? Well, to know what God thinks about life, we need to look into the Word of God. So read along with me in Psalms 139, verses 13 to 16. The Word of God says, and this is David, the psalmist. He's writing the psalm. It's a poem. He's writing it to God. And in verse 13, he says to the Lord, he says, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you that through Jesus Christ we have been born again and have eternal life, but we also just thank you that you are the author of physical life the breath in our lungs, the heartbeat in our chests, this moment in time, it's a gift from your hand, God. So we thank you for the gift of life, something that you treasure and cherish and seek to protect. And we pray that as a result of being together in your word, God, you would give us your heart for life. God, you would give us your heart for the defenseless, for the unborn. And we pray that you would move us to action to make a difference in this world. Thank you that you're with us, and we pray that you speak to us in this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, if we look in the Word, it's obvious to see in, in Psalms 139 here that there is life in the womb. There's life in the womb. Look in verse 13. What does the psalmist say? He says, God, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And in verse 15, he goes on to say, I am intricately, intricately woven. He's knitting the inward parts. And we have a picture of a baby, possibly. Now, what inward parts is he referring to? Well, you have your hearts, your lungs, your spleen, hopefully a brain. All these inward parts God has given us. But in addition to parts, we also know that there are different systems God is knitting together. We have the nervous system, the circulatory system, the digestive system, the cardiovascular system, respiratory system, and all these things are working together in harmony, trillions of cells coming together in a mind-boggling way if you really stop and think about it. There is life in the womb. And who could have done that? Well, the psalmist says it's God doing that. David says to the Lord. And in Jeremiah 1.5, God says to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb. 
The Word of God says it's the Lord doing the knitting, the Lord doing the designing, the Lord doing all these things. God, if you're filling in the blanks, God himself forms, knits, and intricately weaves each baby in the womb. And I'll tell you this, God don't make no junk. You ever heard that? When you look in the mirror, realize you, you have the imprint of God on you. You are made in the image of God. It is God intricately weaving. He forms, knits, and intricately weaves each single baby in the womb. Whether the mother is a belief, whether she believes it or not, God's do, that is what God is doing. Whether she's a Christian or an atheist, whether she's pro-life or pro-choice, God is knitting, weaving, and forming these intricate systems together. <laughs> and certainly it is not random chance. And certainly it is not, it all just kind of happened by accident, as some propose. Actually, that's absurd. That defies logic and common sense. It's the hand of God knitting. Yes, God uses us to procreate, but it is the hand of God knitting and forming every little boy or girl. They are, they are knit together and made by God in his wonderful image. Amen? There's life in the womb. And actually, now technology is confirming what God has said all along. The psalmist knew, if we, if we look in verse uh, we're just referring to technology now through modern technology. We know that this after conception, after conception and day one, day one, all the features are set in the little, little boy or little girl. The hair color, the hair structure, dimples, freck, freckles, and tall and short. You it's all preordained or pre-written, if you will, through the DNA code. And the psalmist says here as, as well in verse 16, it says, all my, my unformed su substance, you saw it, and it's written in your book. What book might that be? It's the DNA code, potentially. Technology is catching up with what the psalmist knew thousands of years ago. Day 17, blood vessels begin to form, and future sex cells that give rise to sperm and eggs, they begin to group together for the next generation. Day 19, the foundation for the brain, spinal cord, and nervous system is laid. Day 21, the heart begins to beat. The heartbeat and brain waves are connect, connected after three weeks after, con, after conception. Day 26, the lungs begin to form. Day 44, 99% of the muscles are present in that little boy or girl. A month and a half into it, the gestation period. 99% of the muscles are present and if you think about it, this is a fearful and wonderful process. It's kind of mind-boggling. The systems, the precision, and the intricacy, it's beyond us. It's higher than our capability to manufacture. It's because God is at work. There's life in the womb. Amen? Amen. Yes, indeed. But as we look at one, uh, uh, Psalms 139, there's a contrast, a stark contrast, and just a few verses. There's life in the womb, but we also see that there's war in the world. Now, what do we mean by that? War in the world. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of bloodshed, depart from me. Verse 19. And other translations say, O men of bloodshed, depart from me. 
It's really interesting that God the Holy Spirit has the psalmist write about life being created in verses 13 through 16. And then there in verse 19, he writes about evil bloodshed, violent bloodshed in the world. Why did, is that random? Or is that, was he writing by the leadership of the Holy Spirit? It's not random. Why? What does he mean by innocent bloodshed? Well, possibly we could, it could refer to the wars and battles that rage all around us in a modern history and also back then as well. That's a part of it. But I think there's a, if we look at the context of these verses, there's another way to interpret the innocent, wicked bloodshed. There's another way to interpret that that goes with the flow of the Scripture passage. And to move in that direction, I'll ask you a question. Let me ask you this. What is the most dangerous and violent place to live in the United States of America? Is it the inner city of Detroit or Chicago where the rate of violent crimes and murder is high? No. The most dangerous place to live in America is not the inner city, but the womb of a mother. In the womb of an American mother, there's a higher chance of violent death than in any of our inner cities. And this is innocent bloodshed, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We, though we know that there's life in the womb in the United States, we end the lives of 3,000 preborn babies every single day. 3,000 preborn baby boys or girls that are killed every day through abortion. Last week, last week alone, approximately 21,000 babies died at the hands of abortion. Since Roe versus Wade was passed, 62 million babies are dead. That is the population of Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida combined. That's the population of the country of Italy, 62 million dead. We have become skilled at taking innocent life, and many have become rich through the killing of helpless, of the helpless. So we see that there's life in the womb, but we also see in the 21st century, the womb has become a tomb. The womb has become a tomb. The place God created to give, and I'm glad you made it to this world, little guy. I'm glad your mommy chose life. The place God created to give and form life has become a death trap for 62 million babies. In the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, 6 million Jews were systematically murdered. In the United States, not 6 million, but 62 million babies have been terminated and are being terminated as I speak. Destroying innocent life is nothing new. In the Old Testament, in Egypt, Pharaoh had the baby Israelite boys thrown into the Nile River to the crocodiles. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, and this may have been what David was talking about when he's writing Psalms. In the Old Testament, in the land of Canaan, babies were sacrificed by fire on the altar of Moloch, a demon entity who promised blessing and prosperity in exchange for the newborn's life. Before the demon idol, the babies were sacrificed by fire, then thousands of years ago. And today, in the 21st century in the United States, the babies are sacrificed in the medical procedure room. And that day was on the demon altar of Moloch. And today... It's on the altar of convenience. I can't afford this child. This baby interferes with my freedom, my plans, my goals. Then in the fire, today they're sacrificed on the altar of intellectual arrogance. 
We say killing a preborn baby through abortion is medical advance, modern technology put to good use. Thousands of years ago, sacrificed in the fire today on the altar of entitlement. It's a woman's right to kill the baby. After all, it's developing in her body. So she's entitled to that. In Egypt, they were killed in the river. In Canaan, they were killed in the fire. Today, in the medical procedure room. Different methods to kill, but the spirit behind the killing is one and the same. Jesus said the thief or the devil, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He loves to kill God's handiwork. His methods and means to deceive and destroy change with time. But his goal is the same, death and destruction. The devil can't get straight at God. He'll go for his handiwork, the helpless handiwork. What should our response to this be, people, body of Christ? What should our response be? In the book of 1 Timothy, the Bible says this to you and I, fight the good fight of faith. Do you know what one of our responses should be? To fight the good fight, and a part of that is to, is to defend the weak and helpless. A part of the good fight of faith is to defend those who cannot defend themselves. What should our response be? It says also in, the, in Proverbs 24, 11, the Bible says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. What should our response be? Rescue. Amen? Amen. God calls believers to rescue the perishing. If we don't do it, who will? Let me ask you this. Do you know Christ? You've been rescued. What did Jesus do? He came down to this world, lost, turned on a rescue mission. He stepped down into the dirtiness and rescued. And God calls you and I to do the same thing as his children. Have you ever noticed have you ever noticed how in the Bible repeatedly it says, help and rescue the widows and the orphans, the widows and the orphans? Why is that? It's because they were the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable. They did not have husbands or fathers to protect them. And today, who is the most vulnerable? Well, it's the voiceless, defenseless, preborn baby. They are in God's heart. He hears their Silent screams as they are violently dismembered in the womb. They are in his sight and on his heart, and he desires to use the body of Christ, the hands of Jesus, you and me, to rescue them. To rescue them. That's God's. That is God's will for us. And as we do that, I think it's really good to remember this. It all starts with attitude, in a sense. The movement of life, listen, the movement of life is a movement of love and not hate. And I'll say that again. The movement of, of life is it's a movement of love, love and not hate. We need to rescue, as we rescue them, we rescue them with a loving heart. When Jesus left the throne and came down to this earth, it was with a loving heart. As Jesus sends you and I to rescue those who are not yet brought into this world or help a mother in crisis, it is with a loving heart. We rescue it with, not with a judgmental attitude, but with love. 
We are not the, we are not the haters. We have, re, we have received great undeserved love in Christ, and we want to extend that love to others as well. Amen? That's the heart of God. We are called to rescue. We are called to do it with a heart of love, and, and obviously we want to rescue preborn babies. But in addition to that, the mothers who have made this mistake. God wants us to be the hands of Jesus reaching out to them as well. Jesus, it's important that we know this. Jesus extends forgiveness and healing for those who have committed abortion. Jesus, he extends healing and forgiveness for those who commit abortion. That is his heart. And it needs to be ours as well. Jesus does not reject them and neither should we. Instead, he opens wide his loving arms towards them. Jesus' shed blood on the cross covers and cleanses all sin, including the sin of bloodshed through abortion. Jesus forgives, heals, and he restores. He works all things out for good if we turn to him, Romans 8, 28. Jesus takes a repentant heart, he restores it. Jesus turns pain into power if we allow him to. He turns pain into power. The mother who aborted her baby after receiving forgiveness, healing, and restoration can become a powerful force to persuade many others to save their babies. Amen? So as your brother in Christ and as one of your pastors, I just implore you, if you've had an abortion in this place, if you've had an abortion, Jesus, he opens his arms wide to you. He doesn't condemn you. He cherishes you. And he says, come to me. I, I implore you, my sister in Christ, run to Christ and be set free. Don't live under guilt. Live under Christ. He sets us free. Live in Christ's embrace. He opens his arm to you. And we, the body of Christ, we open our arms to you as well. Amen, church? Amen, Amen. church? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We're on equal ground before the Lord. And Jesus extends forgiveness and healing for the mothers who have, who have committed abortion. CareNet here on the peninsula, they offer a support group called Reveal the Secret. And we have a video clip for you now to, to, observe, to watch. And in this Reveal the Secret clip, you can see how God is restoring mothers who have committed abortion. Watch this at this time. I found myself pregnant uh, when I was 15. I had just turned 15. I was dating this boy who was also 15 years old. He was kind of a cool guy to me, and so I was really excited that he wanted to date me. We became sexually active. I found myself pregnant. My parents made it very clear to me, especially my mother, that it was gonna be my decision. They didn't guide me in any way. So at 15, I'm making this huge decision really on my own. two friends of mine who they sat me down, pulled me aside, and they said, you know what, we got pregnant and we both have had an abortion. I remember asking them, 
So do you think that's what I should do? And they said yes. I don't remember my mother ever saying this, but I knew that my mom wanted me to have an abortion. Somehow I just knew that, that that to her was the answer. Looking back, I realized that my father did not, but he never voiced that. When I decided that I was gonna have the abortion, I remember being in my room and my dad was in the doorway and my mom was close to the bed and I you know, was gonna tell them what I had decided to do. I remember my dad being so upset. Um, and my mom kinda just hushing him up. Because um, I'd made my decision, it was my decision. I, I do remember it being pretty quick. Um, you know, it was, here was the decision, all right, we're making the appointment, and it was like, boom. At that moment, I began to shut down. And I said, you know what, I'll just separate myself from this and not really be involved and not even, I just kind of became numb and started to not think about it. I continued to convince myself that that was the right decision. I became a Christian at 19, and initially I, I didn't think so much about it because I had it stuffed real good. But as I was walking in my faith, there were a lot of times where I wondered, am I really saved? Is this really forgivable? It came a point in my life where I did think about it almost every day. I just thought it was going to be something that I was going to have to carry for the rest of my life. Surrender the Secret is a group of women who have had abortions who will come together and share their stories and go through a healing process together and it's facilitated by women who have had abortions themselves. I was kind of hesitant at first, but it was like, no, God said, no, it's time now. So that's when I went through the Surrender the Secret and that was a very pivotal moment for me in my healing process. When I'm in a room now and abortion comes up, I don't feel the shame. I feel more of a burden for women who might have been there or um, you know even people who are considering that and don't even understand what they're considering that's probably the biggest difference my friend he called me and he told me that his girlfriend was pregnant and he knew he did not want to be with her any longer. He was not really excited about the idea of having a family with her. He didn't know what was going to happen. I remember telling him very instinctively, don't let her have an abortion. Whatever you do, don't have an abortion. And they did not have an abortion. Two and a half, three years later, after that conversation, I married that man and that unborn child. 
that unborn child became my stepdaughter. And I get to raise her. I get to be a part of her life. Even when I couldn't do that for my own child. Regardless of what I had done and regardless of the secret that I, you know, I didn't want anyone to know about, God allowed me to be a part of Emily's life, to be her stepmother, to give me that child to raise, to, to be a part of, to pour into. And that, to me, is just a picture of God's grace and His redeeming love. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God that Allison, she received freedom from all that guilt. Jesus cleansed her and set her free. He turned her pain into power to help other women do the same. Amen? And our, the movement we're a part of is a movement of love. We rescue with a loving heart to save the, the unborn, the mothers, and, la and I won't... And, and last of all, also to the men or the parents who may pressure their wives or girlfriends or daughters to abortion, and the doctors who also kill the babies. Except by the grace of God, we could have done the same thing, men, parents. We extend love. The grace and kindness of God is amazing. And we extend that love to them as well. God calls us to rescue. We rescue with a loving heart and also with diligent hands. God, with diligent hands. Do you know the difference between fake faith and authentic faith? Is action. Real faith takes action. Faith without works is dead, the book of James tells us. And to rescue the unborn, we must not only have a holy attitude, but also take holy action and, and, and love with our hands. You know, to be quite honest with you, to be honest with you, if our hearts are truly right, our hands start moving. You know, the Bible says that Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on the crowds, and then he healed them, and then he fed them. And true compassion leads to action. Mere sympathy is wishful thinking that it accomplishes nothing. Nothing. True compassion leads to sacrificial action. And that's what Jesus lived. And we're called to live that. And, and to have diligent hands to help those, to help those who are struggling with this. A loving heart and diligent hands. And here's just a few ways to help practically. One way is this. It's through, uh, through uh, financial giving. Today we're kicking off the baby bottle uh, campaign. And we invite you to fill these bottles. There's some in the back. There's some on either side and here with, with coins, with cash, with checks. Checks are made out to CareNet. And as you give towards the, the baby bottle campaign, the money can be used to save babies and help mothers. Not only with the baby bottle campaign, uh, each year here in Newport News, CareNet has an annual walk for life at Newport News Park. And thousands and thousands of dollars are raised to help rescue the unborn. You, we can make monthly donations. You may have estate planning that you're going through. 10, 20% of your estate, those resources, those assets can go. After you've gone to see Jesus face to face, you can save countless babies because you gave financially. Practical ways 
And, and uh, money such as this that's, that are given can be used to, in such, to, for example, to purchase sonogram machines, ultrasound machines. Do you know once a mother sees, sees her baby in the womb, she is much less likely to terminate its life? There are some statistics that say that mothers who have made plans or scheduled an abortion with Planned Parenthood, after seeing the sonogram, they are four times less likely to terminate the child's life. They already got an appointment. But seeing sometimes is believing. There's life in that womb. So the monies can be used for, for purchasing uh, sonogram machines to keep open care, night, care net facilities and to, and to open new ones, to also fund marketing and advertising strategies. And that may sound secular, but let me tell you, it's not. Marketing and advertising. How do these young ladies know that there's hope unless it, the, the news gets to their eyes or to their ears? I mean, there's all kinds of ladies out there. They're, they're distraught, and they see no way out. There is no way out except to terminate this child. There's no, but there is another way. There is a better way. And as you give, it can be used to help that news reach the ears of a mother in crisis, to educate. Knowledge is power. And so financial giving is one way that we can have diligent hands. Another way besides giving financially is to volunteer. To volunteer your time, to help in possibly in the clinics or help with, with uh, administration. Here's a CareNet, here's a, here's a way, ladies, that you can help. CareNet on the peninsula is asking Coastal Community Church, Community Church for female volunteers who can be like a big sister, to be a part of a mentoring program. Ladies who are willing to have conversations and talk with abortion minded women and those who are recovering from abortion. Just to listen to them. Their worldview world may be much different than yours, but that's okay. But love them by listening and let them know there's another way. If you're interested possibly to be in that mentor program, ladies, come see myself or Pastor Joey or put in the Connect card, mentor program, CareNet, and put your name and contact information. We, God, we can make a difference, people. God wants to use us in practical ways. Volunteering, vote pro-life, voting. This is not primarily, primarily a political issue. It's a life issue. Each baby is created and made in the very image of God. Vote pro-life. It's not about politics. It's a life issue. It's a God issue. Amen? Another way to possibly help is adoption. Adoption is a wonderful option. Adopting yourself or helping others adopt or to be possibly uh, involved in foster care. You know, you know, to proclaim abortion is wrong, 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 and then not lift a finger to help those in crisis, that would kind of be hypocritical, wouldn't it? God calls us to action. Diligent hands. And last but certainly not least, I'll say this. To be a part of the rescue, do this. Pray. Pray. And I'll tell you why. It's a spiritual battle primarily. Are there physical consequences? Yes. But the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6. Pray. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, the Word of God says this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We walk in the flesh, we have a physical life, but we're, we are called to a spiritual battle. And you have weapons as a part of the body of Christ. And one of those weapons is the weapon of prayer. Divine, empowered by God, it says here, to destroy strongholds. Whose strongholds? The enemies. The slaughter of innocence. Pray. Pray. Pray that God would continue to turn the tide and mobilize his people to rescue the defenseless. Pray for an awakening and passion to re rescue and save those who are being led to the slaughter. Pray for new legislation in our land. Pray, pray for strong, compassionate, courageous leadership in our government and in our churches. Pray. You know, uh, this stronghold will only come down when the power of God brings it down. And when does God tend to exercise his power? When the people of God exercise prayer. Pray. Use that weapon of prayer. Amen? As we take action and help in some of these practical ways, may we be the hands and feet of Jesus who rescue the helpless. God calls us to rescue. But unfortunately, we, we have not always been obedient to that call, I'm afraid. I think that's how the Roe versus Wade got passed in the first place. When it was put up for to be passed, we were silent. The people of God were silent, passive, when we're called to fight the good fight. We haven't always been faithful to that. In Nazi Germany in the 1940s, millions of Jews were systematically slaughtered, killed, eliminated. And under Hitler's leadership, a horrible genocide occurred. Thousands of, thousands of Jewish victims will be crammed onto trains and shipped off to death camps. And one such, one such train track was located right next to a church, and on Sunday morning they were singing their hymns and, worship, and worshiping God, and as they sang, they could hear the cries from the crowded boxcars, cries for mercy and help as they were being led off to the slaughter. And the Christians, as they sang, they could hear the cries, and, and they took action. You know what they decided to do? Sing louder. Sing louder. And sing another stanza until the train passes. Sing louder and longer. That's, that's the action that they took. They sang louder. To drown out the noise of the cries for help, sing louder. And as we are confronted with the battle for life of the unborn... May we not sing louder, turn a blind eye, or get distracted, or succumb to fear, or what everyone else is saying. Instead, may we have compassionate hearts and diligent hands to rescue those who are being taken away to death, to hold back those who are being taken away to the slaughter. And in Proverbs 24, 12, the Bible goes on to say this. And if we happen to say, but I didn't know about this. I didn't know this was happening. Verse 12, does he not know who weighs the heart? Does, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The Lord sees what is happening to the unborn in the U.S., the Lord sees our response to their plight. May we not merely sing louder, but develop 
a loving heart and diligent hands that rescue those who are being led off to slaughter in our midst. How does the Lord want you to rescue? You, this morning. Give, pray, vote, volunteer. How does God want you? May we be faithful and obedient to join God in the rescue. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Lord, with, with that comes responsibility. Lord, we thank you that you cherish us and you cherish the unborn. God, we pray that you would tenderize our hearts, give us loving hearts and diligent hands to rescue. Forgive us where we failed you. Lord, we pray that you energize us and lead us to make an even greater impact in the future. Jesus, Lord, may we be your hands. May we eat your feet, your voice to rescue the helpless. To the glory of your great name, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Stand with us and sing. I'm going to start with verse 3. <clears throat> fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to sing this out to this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my 